back to Arsenio's ESL Learning for all of you out there who will be tuning in and who are and whatever it may be. Thank you so much for tuning in with me. And today is a special one. I got <laughs> Katrina. I brought her on my podcast. Um, and the thing is, this the podcast that I brought her on already will not debut until June the 4th. So you guys are actually going to hear her and hear the podcast or this specific one if you're listening to this in podcast form, for the first time before the actual formal introduction. So we're all over the place. It's all good. It's all fun. Katrina and I, we talked about mindfulness in that one. And today we're talking about some great stuff. So Katrina, man, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. I I really enjoy talking to you so much with all this energy. You and I (laughs) for 10 hours. (laughs) I am so ready. And thank Thank you for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm still in the process of just being woken up right now, to be honest with you. But brief introduction in terms of, you know, uh, it just depends on what way you actually want to go. You know, saying, okay, I thought here, there, there, there. And then we're going to dive into some real good stuff for these ESL learners out there. All right. So, hello, I'm Katrina Gleisberg, and I have taught in the United States, the state of Nebraska, and Greece, and Panama, and now I'm back in Omaha. Um, After all of these travels, um, gosh, I've now visited 35 different countries and am so excited to use everything that I've learned back here in Omaha, where we have a huge refugee community. So I originally started teaching elementary education and special education And then I got my master's degree in TESOL, which is teaching English to speakers of other languages. And so I am very passionate about ESL teaching, especially more innovative English teaching that is very balanced between the four domains of language learning, which are reading, writing, speaking, and listening. And love that you have a podcast with so many international listeners. Yes, absolutely. And you know what? Honestly, when I built that up, I didn't really know what the niche was. I didn't know what I was targeting. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I, I realized that teaching here in Thailand, it was all predicated off reading, you know, reading, writing, listening, and speaking, or or grammar, or, you know, just implementing everything in together, uh, you know, together with it. But do you remember learning, you know, in, like, categories like that back when you were in school? I mean, I feel like any first language is acquired yeah. – from that natural balance, right? Yep. Well, first it's, it's the uh, speaking and the listening, of course, but you know, once you are school age and you're able to read and write, you are learn you learn from a mixture of all of those. I mean, if they're good teachers, right? Good teachers yeah. are just going to hopefully, hopefully nowadays give you just a book and be like, here, here you go. But <laughs> we're <working. laughs> right? modern education, baby. Yep. <laughs> I mean, that, that's probably the first thing that I remember having as a foundation in grad school with that master's in language teaching is that when you develop lessons for language learning, every lesson must be a balance of reading, writing, speaking, and listening in order for that lesson to be most effective. Mm. Now, I'm going to take this from a different standpoint now both you and i we were learners of a language too 
Now, yes. when you went to Greece, you had to learn some things. When you went to Panama, now Spanish, I believe, compared to Thai, Spanish is easy as heck. All right. <laughs> I love me some Spanish. You know what I mean? And I still understand when people do speak Spanish because, of course, my mother is Puerto Rican. So when I came here to Thailand, I learned situational. But the thing is, a situational time, but I had to learn how to speak. There's no way I'm just going to write everything everywhere. So as you being a learner of different languages, how did you approach it knowing your entire teaching background, having taught, of course, in Nebraska and then going over the Atlantic and then coming back down to Panama? What did you do as a learner of a language? Okay, so first I started with easy things that I could get my hands on, like Duolingo, for example. Um, the thing is, is if you're learning English, there's so many more resources available to you, like English movies and like the wealth of resources is so much greater than what I could find in Greek. Now, I did right. Greek classes while I was there, but a lot right. of the times... I would come to my teachers with specific situations of what I want to learn. For example, mm -hmm. I want with all the fresh food that there is in Greece, where it's not all packaged and processed like it is here. I wanted to know how to order cheese from the cheese counter. So that was an example of a question that I had to ask my teacher because the stuff that's in grammar books and all of that, well, it could be helpful. What I wanted to know as a learner immediately was the situations that were most dire. Going to the grocery store, dire situation. <laughs> right, right, right. And how about like uh, in terms of getting around transportation, right? So here in Thailand, taxis, of course, Malaysia too, but Thailand specifically, taxi drivers are notorious. This was before the Grab Taxi came out. Now you're like, dude, I'll pay a little extra to a company as long as I know that these people, I can trust them. But if you get a taxi on the road, there's a lot of distrust. So like in terms of transportation, taking the bus, doing this, doing that, um, did you learn that too? Were you like, man, situational, I need to know how to take transportation or it's going to be hell here. How uh, was it? So, so luckily, and so I was in Athens. So in the Athens city center, most signs are in both English and Greek, um, a lot of people involved in transportation, tourism, they are bilingual, at least bilingual. Many of them know more than two. Um, but I did have a fear of taking a taxi initially. So I just depended upon the metro, bus, whatever I could, and using Google Maps. And I was so fortunate that I had so many Greek coworkers at the school where I taught who helped me with basic things. But I also found that I needed to ask for a lot of help. And that I know that that's not always easy, but it was either that or struggle. And there were many times where, you know, you and I've talked about this before, of we know certain vocabulary, but we don't know how to put it in a grammatically correct sentence. And so right. sometimes that stops us from even attempting to speak. Yes. But I had to put myself in that situation of using the one or two words that I knew in hopes that that could help me when I was outside of the Athens City Center looking for a particular place. Wow. All right. Going towards, I mean, if we go from Athens to Panama, were the situations different or was it pretty much the same? Like in terms of <laughs> order and 
super different. Super different because, okay. because in, in Greece, so first of all, you have Europe where so many of big cities, right? Yeah. And people are, I was with a lot of expats and people who had traveled a lot. And I was in the minority as far as not being fluent in, you know, four or five languages like a lot of people that I knew. And um, so Athens is very, very, very much built up for tourism. Right. And it also helped that, you know, Athens posted an Olympic Games recently and cities, before they host an Olympic Games, they have to be very user-friendly. They have their signs. Mm, and man, they got one. Yeah. Yeah. They they make the transportation and everything more accessible. When I went to Panama, where, where I was the majority of this time was in a city that was small and four hours outside of Panama City. Not there were it was there were not tours there. I was uh, there with other English teachers to um, kind of be consultants in the schools uh, for um, supporting teachers with innovative English teaching methodologies. So yeah, I could not just expect a a, a taxi driver to know my isolated broken words. And several times I did realize that I knew the distance between the place where I was staying and the place where I was teaching and how much that should should cost for a taxi. And there were times that they would see the green dust get in the taxi and automatically watch the price. Um, so that those experiences like that where it's like, if you don't want to be taken advantage of, you better know that skills. No, yes. You'll be like, nope, I know that this fare is $1.25. <laughs> I love it. And you just say that. I remember a taxi guy normally would take a fare. It was like 200 meters, right? And he said, oh, no, it's 15 baht. And 15 baht's 50 cents. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Yesterday, it was 10 baht. 10 baht's 33 cents. It's not the price. It's the principle. You're not going to take advantage of me. So I stood there with that motorcycle taxi and I was like, hell no, you ain't getting nothing from me. Nope, 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 nope. And the security guard from the place was like, he was standing there. He was my guardian angel. He was standing there because the taxi driver kept looking at him and and the security guard was like, I'm going to protect that foreigner. You know, and I was like, yeah, yeah, you're going to have to take my money. Get off the bike. You know what I mean? So I just left. It was great. It was such a great moment for me, you know, and that knowing that. I love it because you said, all right, what I'm going to do here is I'm going to learn these types of situations and knowing the pricing, especially too, you know, so man, that's critical. And so a lot of people out there, that's really, really good advice for a lot of people who want to travel and whatnot. Um, especially foreigners that go to Las Vegas. Sometimes the taxi drivers, they go around the back end loop to make an extra $5 and stuff like that. So I mean, when you have a map and when you take Grab Taxi or Uber, of course, is the one out there in America, it makes it much easier. So, um, but before that, man, you still need to know your language. Still got to know it because some countries don't have those, you know, those tools and stuff that we could use. You know? Or, they're, they're, I mean, and I am I am not going to claim to be as well studied as I should have been in either country. <clears throat> I was not. Uh-huh. But it's also willing 
to argue your point, even if it's in your native language. Because I remember doing that in Greece, where I didn't know the words to argue of Christ. But when we got in the car, me and a couple other friends, from the airport, and we couldn't take the metro because it was after hours, um, the friends that that were with me got off first. And they paid them the price from the airport to their apartment. He was trying to charge me once from my apartment or from their apartment to my apartment, the price of what it would have been for like double me from the airport. And even though, even though I did not know the skills to explain all those details of what I know, I knew he was doing. I just kept stating my point in English and he knew enough English that I knew that he understood me, but I was like, Nope, Nope, Nope. I, I kept explaining, and I then finally he got sick of me. <laughs> he just said, oh, fine, fine, fine. So that's uh, through those things where I had to be really stubborn and not give in. And like yeah. you said, it's the principle of the matter. Let him know that it's not okay to take advantage of me as someone who doesn't speak that language. Right, right. Yeah, man. Man, that's great. That's great for a lot of people. I just had another friend who went to south africa and i'm like wow i've never heard of anyone from thailand go to south africa for a vacation and so she went there and again she was in a situation where people were following her and she went into a chinese cafe they luckily helped her and this and that so i mean just oh man there's there's a lot of survival skills in everything that a lot of people (laughs) to learn while traveling and you know when you go to a place you don't speak their native language so then you went off to teach refugees in America. And so now you got your teachings from Athens, which you've already incorporated mindfulness to. You went down to Panama, you took some things, you started teaching these refugees. Mm -hmm. And so now with the listening, the speaking, the reading, the writing, let's all put it together now. So what do you mean by the domains and how to learn this in context and not just learn grammar from pieces of paper and stuff like that? Right, right. Oh, I hate teaching grammar in isolation. It's so boring. Like, I remember being in middle school and high school and having to learn all those tenses. Yeah. It just makes it so boring. But if you can learn tenses through a piece of text that's already engaging, it's going to mean so much more. So when I was teaching English to elementary students at an international school in Athens, Greece, I had kids from 16 different native languages. So I started by doing fun activities like readers theaters that went along with fun books that people already love, like where the wild things are. You don't have to be from any particular culture to love that book. Right. (laughs) You bring in a readers theater where people are first, we read the book and then it's about the reading comprehension and Then I had people draw pictures of what they're noticing from the words and write captions to their pictures. So there's reading and writing there. But then there's the speaking and the listening in the the reader's theater because they have to listen to all their classmates to be ready for when it's their time to perform. So it's huge speaking and listening. And of course, reader's theater is all about having that awesome expression in your voice, practicing that pronunciation, all of that. So it's amazing that you can take some of those 
really engaging activities that are engaging for elementary students and still make them relevant for adults. And with the adults, I mean, I had amazing students that were so hardworking, so grateful, just um, super excited to learn. And I would start every class period off with a speaking prompt. And it might be as simple as something like, today I am feeling blank because blank. And so instead of putting students on the spot right away, I was then asking each student to start writing to that prompt. Oh, right. Right. And so as each person is writing, I as a teacher could go amongst my students individually and help them because they were very varying levels. And so maybe some, it's literally starting with a few pieces of vocabulary. Um, and with others, it's um, more fine tuning their grammar. But I would, but the reason why I would give them a speaking prompt first and then have them write is because you're going to get much more confidence of that person speaking if they've had the time to prepare it. Right. And then they're able to reference it. At, they're able to reference their writing as they're speaking. Mm-hmm. Then they already have that written down. That's the stuff that my students would study and we would build upon those speaking prompts. And we ended up using the prompt today. I am feeling blank because blank sometimes once a week because it changes. And that's a way to get people to engage with each other. Super simple. Those are the skills they want to have in their everyday interactions when they're talking to um, the neighbor, the cashier, the bus driver, etc. They want to have that small talk. And then I would always bring up things that are not so cliche. Instead of today, I'm feeling good. No, today I am feeling exhausted. Today I'm feeling excited. Because today I am feeling, and I bring up all sorts of more interesting emotion words besides just good or fine. Uh, man, I love that. I love speaking prompts. Never thought about that, which is really interesting. Now, what, what about, what do you do to get some of the students to get that confidence in class in terms of speaking with one another? Because some people or some students have that amazing confidence. And some, you could just tell that they're just, you know, they look down constantly and it's because you, you could, you could place blame on a lot of different things, but let's just say it's the individual himself. Mm-hmm. So let's say you have a class of eight and you have five students who have that confidence, but you have three over here who don't. Of course, you're probably going to pair them up together, but how do you get those three or people who are shy to speak because of the withdrawals and because, you know, being corrected by native English speakers, how do you get them to build that up? So you're absolutely right as far as pairing them together. Mm-hmm. Um, I, first of all, on a regular basis, I asked my students what they wanted to learn. And they would tell me situations where they wanted help. Teaching to my, or uh, speaking to my child's teacher. Um, ordering at Burger King. You know, and so because these were already topics that were challenging for them, that they were really interested in, that is going to increase their engagement exponentially. 
So I would take those situations and then I would make what I call daily interaction dialogues. And um, I wrote about a blog post about them and I have some for free on my website that anybody can do. And I literally made a dialogue and we would craft them together. Um, and the dialogues had two people going back and forth. And then I made reading comprehension questions for the students. But I would have the partners practice those daily interaction dialogues together after we had already practiced them as a whole group with me modeling how to say everything. And then um, for a lot of them, I made recordings so they could listen to as, as well as how to listen to these if they wanted to practice at home. And because they had so much practice with their partner, while their partners were practicing together, I could go around and just gently give feedback or people would ask me, how do you pronounce this or that? So they had the practice first in partners, which made it so much easier than to speak in front of the whole group. Wow. Man, love it. Love these techniques. Like, what were some of the, you know what, in terms of the students, now each country, some people are strong in specific areas, right? So, again, people would say that Japan is extremely strong in grammar, you know, grammar writing, Japanese students. Yeah. But when it comes to speaking, oh, my God, my dude, you know what I mean? And so (laughs) Korea is almost the same thing. And so if we fast forward, if we go, we'll actually backtrack, go back to Greece and whatnot. What are some of the areas do you focus on their weaknesses and building that up? Or do you just double down on the strengths? And, you know, for both Greece and Panama, what were some of the weaknesses and strengths amongst the students? I, I'm so glad you asked this question because it I had extreme and different ends of the spectrum when I taught in Greece. So in Greece, I'm generalizing here, right? right. In general, uh-huh. the culture of people there, they are very outgoing, lots of expression, um, they feel more comfortable being argumentative, have no trouble expressing their opinions, especially if there's something they don't like. Okay. <laughs> so I had a lot of Greek students, but I also, like I said, my students, I had students from 16 different native languages. I had a lot of students who were Chinese because there's this uh, Chinese shipping company in Greece. So stripping after, after oh, shipping. Okay. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. It's, I heard that wrong. Okay. Okay. So okay. After, so though Greek students were probably the highest population right after that was Chinese students mm-hmm. and a drastic difference between those groups of students. You had the Greek students in general who were really great with the speaking and listening. And you had the students from China who were really great with the reading and writing. But to get even some of those students initially to repeat after a word or two, that was not comfortable for them. And then we also have to realize that there's such a thing as the silent period where people need to be exposed to the language first. And for some kids, it might take them several weeks, maybe even a couple months before they even utter anything in the new language. 
But then all of a sudden they'll surprise you because they'll speak in entire phrases or sentences. Right. So being that I had that drastic difference of this, of, um, in the same class of students really high in speaking and listening, but low in reading and writing, but in really high in reading and writing, but afraid to speak. Right. Um, that made it absolutely imperative that all of my lessons had that balance of reading, right. writing, speaking, and listening. And so that meant that a lot of times I had, I was just very creative. I would pull up images. I, I would always start with images because a lot of my, my students were beginners that could not even say hello, my name is. So I started with pictures and I would, it would be a picture that's very obvious. A lot of them were verbs, right? So starting with verbs, stand, sit, eat, go to the bathroom, right? Right. Uh, and point and learn by these words. And then students knew that they, from pointing to different things, that we could then craft entire sentences after that. So for example, I always had my students on Mondays speak about what they did over the weekend because that's a normal conversation that people will ask you anywhere. Absolutely. <laughs> I always do. Yeah. Right. So I have pictures, you know, I had um, PowerPoint slides of lots of weekend activities. So the students who could not express anything on their own could at least point and these are pictures of things that anybody can relate to, right? Like I played a game, I ate dinner with my family, I slept, I walked my dog, I went to the park, etc. So at least they could point and then we could build their writing from that. So no matter what grade level I had on Mondays, we were working on talking about our weekends on Mondays. And then they got into that routine so that students could then come prepared on Mondays and just know of, Ooh, I went to this cool place. I want to make sure I know the word for this because I know I'm going to be asked. Right. And so we would start with writing about their weekends. Let's say the first, Oh, 20 minutes or so of class. Then they would share. We'd come together as a whole group and share them so that there's your, you're reading back what they wrote and they're speaking, speaking. And then I would build in the listening components because I would have all the other students had to record something that they were listening for. For example, if um, maybe our topic that we're working on for those for a couple of weeks is um, verbs. Okay. And, um, and I, would do this with all, so say I'm doing a second grade class, okay? So someone is sharing about something he did over the weekend. That means all of his classmates, as he is speaking, all of his classmates are writing on their whiteboard a list of all the verbs they hear him say. Nice. And so after that one student is done sharing, all, I'm going to ask every single other student of tell me a verb that he said. And it, it has to be different verbs. And that way you have the very careful listening. It's, you cannot tune out while all the other students are speaking. And then they would take these verbs and we would make a class poster of verbs that we hear, for example. But I would do that kind of a system with lots of other concepts. Man, that is brilliant. I just realized that that is some really, really good listening. You know, and it re reminded me of, 
me learning about content words and focus words. So I have to, you know, I realize that understanding those two will help students tremendously on the TOEFL IBT, the IELTS, and the TOEIC. Because what you're listening for, again, is, okay, what what is what is meant? I'm sorry, like some, some of the questions, right? And so you got to pick up the WH question, then the main function, and then you have to pick up the focus word, mm-hmm. right? And so this, I'm like, oh, my God, a lot of people don't understand this because they kind of just listen for keywords. But those keywords can actually help if you're if you know what you're listening for in terms of content words and stuff like that. So that's from an academic standpoint. But like you, like the, the verbs, again, those are focus words. You know what I mean? So if they're writing down the words while one student is speaking, oh, that's brilliant. And so this, again, do you consider this to be a very uh, non-traditional uh, way of approaching, um, what is the ESL teaching? Or do you think a lot of other teachers are doing the same thing? You know, I, I, I've known some very amazing, innovative teachers here. Mm-hmm. But when I've traveled to other countries, I have definitely felt like I was seen as the unusual teacher for doing things that people had not seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, like the fact that I wasn't giving them specific grammar worksheets. I mean, we would do grammar based in their pieces of writing or like I mentioned stories, stories that we were already reading or pick out the grammar from their own writing, right? Where it's more meaningful. Um, but along with that, there's so many other things in play that I think people saw as, I see them as innovative. Other teach, I got other teachers on board, definitely. But I think at first they were kind of like, huh? It's simple things like um, in elementary school, when I taught in the public school here in the U.S., all the teachers in the elementary school teach their many listen, many lessons to their students who are sitting on the carpet right in front of them. So it was natural for me when I moved to Greece to have my students sit on the carpet in front of me. And kids thought that was really strange. (laughs) Right, right. Um, But I was like, no, like proximity matters when you teach. It matters no matter your age, right? People are going to be more engaged when they are closer to you. The farther they are, and the you know you you have them sit at a desk that's full of all of these tempting distractions of erasers and markers, um, but a lot of those are principles that I think of that are related to classroom management that relate to all age groups. Wow, man, that's. These are beautiful, especially for a lot of teachers out there. So I, I hope a lot of people, uh, they understand. So from like an uh, English language learning standpoint, you start off with the speaking. It seems like, you know, you get the students to, again, uh, to like you, like you use focus listening techniques so they can write down the different verbs and this and that. So it sounds like grammar is literally the last thing that you ever like. And, and the thing is, you said that in the podcast, you said I don't focus on grammar in isolation because when you do, I don't think people necessarily learn it. People have been learning grammar for, for,
for years, some students here in Thailand, and they still don't understand it. And I'm like, guys, you're going to learn grammar your entire life. There's got to be a different way of going about doing it. So let's say there's a solo learner out there right now. And this solo learner is trying to get better at grammar. First and foremost, they need to stop focusing on grammar. They need to focus on something else. What, what I mean, like, what, what are some things that you would suggest to these uh, types of learners? Good question. And I did, yeah. the same, I did the same thing when I was in Greece. I mm. just started writing about myself. And, you know, wow. my name is Katrina Gleisberg. I am from the United States. Mm. Um. I teach English as a second language. Basic things about myself because people are going to remember the grammar if it relates to themselves. Right? If you're if you're studying these simple sentences about random people who don't exist or they're not in the form of a story, right? I'm going to remember it if it pertains to me. So if I'm writing about myself, these are, first of all, it's things that are useful that I want to be able to tell people when I meet them. But secondly, I'm going to remember it because it's me. It's my life. I'm not going to be stuck for, hmm, what's the rest of the sentence? Oh, wait, I know how old I am. I know where I'm from. I know the words that I'm looking for. So I would say write about yourself. Do your research, you know, as far as the words that you need to write about yourself and then ask somebody who is a native English speaker to proofread it for you because they will tell you the little things of, oh, these are synonyms, but we use this synonym for this situation and this other synonym for this other situation. They're going to be able to help you with that. And, um, yeah, start with yourself. That's brilliant. Read books. Children's books. Okay. Okay, so children's books. There we go. So there's a wonderful distributor out here uh, or distribution center. uh, And they are starting to get all the children's books that we would absolutely listen to. Love the Dr. Seuss. All those. Remember Mrs. Nelson or Miss Nelson? I can't remember. Yeah. The next, you know, Viola Swamp. I still remember that day because I guess I always associated with her with something black. And her chin was like this long. It, she was a disgusting mutant. Then Miss Nelson came back. And you know what? You kind of look like Miss Nelson because she came back and she was just so happy. And I was like, oh, Miss Nelson is back. You know what I mean? So children's books. Um, When people read things that they can relate to or when people read things that, you know, that they could get something out of it, they could develop reading into a hobby, right? Because I was brought up that reading is boring, but then when my life was on the line and I wanted to learn about personal development, reading became extraordinary. Mm-hmm. So that's the fourth, uh, the fourth um, domain, dimension, whatever you want to call it, reading. What do you do for your students in terms of, Okay, what, yeah, you should read this. You should read something about that. Is it specific niche areas or what, what is it that you recommend, especially for levels two? Right, right. So first of all, just like with speaking, I ask them what kinds of, like for speaking, I ask them what kind of situations they want to learn more of. I do the same with reading, mm-hmm. right? 
and, and useful things that it's not just a book that seems like, oh, this doesn't relate to me. Things like when I asked, my students wanted to know how to read things like pill bottles. How is important? That's so important. They Absolutely. They need their medication, right? right. Um, um, reading mail, reading an article, reading simple things like the weather forecast. Yes. So I, I never just narrowed it down to one specific genre. No. I mean, you're going from weather forecast to pill bottles to reading recipes to reading informational flyers with basic information like addresses, phone numbers, what to bring. Um, so we started with simple pieces of text. And then I made reading passages based on things they asked about. Um, for example, we the fact that we celebrate Halloween in the United States, that's a very strange uh, holiday for a lot of my students. Yeah. They wanted to know what a lot of them thought it was weird or scary or a waste of money to buy mm -hmm. costumes or a lot of them who came from war torn areas where they saw people looking gory in real life from dangerous situations couldn't right. believe that in the United States people dress in a gory way for fun. So we wow. wanted to know what Halloween is. They didn't understand. Like I, I had a, a an adult student tell me that his child brought home a pumpkin from school because the, uh, the child had gone to a pumpkin patch yeah. for a field trip. He cut up the pumpkin because he thought it was food. Naturally for him. Naturally. They eat pumpkin. The kid was upset because he said, no, we're supposed to decorate this pumpkin. So you see those like cultural things Absolutely. totally understandable that right. cultural miscommunication. So they wanted to know what is Halloween? What do people do? How do they celebrate it? Where does it come from? And so I would make reading passages based on their questions. Wow, man, that is, now that you put it that way, that is, that's a very abstract way of thinking. Like, can you imagine, like, you know, you bring bring home a pumpkin in some countries that have, are war torn, that's considered food. Yeah. Some people go days without food. So he's like, man, yeah. let's cut this up. The kid's like, no, we need to decorate it. Decorate food? No, you need to eat food for survival. Right. Crazy. Yeah, absolutely. I never thought about it that way. That's pretty eye-opening. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. Wow. So you know what? There are so many other things and activities and projects and stuff. It, there are just so many topics that me and Katrina, we're going to be diving into, man. This is going to be, I don't know how many part series, but we're going to call this series one with teacher Katrina. Or you know what? We have to say something else. Like, I don't know what we got to say. But you know what? Because this is so fascinating and this is going to help a lot of people out there. So Katrina, for everything that you're doing, because this is the first time people are tuning into you. This podcast is going up before the main podcast. I completely messed this up. I'm so sorry. Uh, but yeah, this podcast is going up before the main one. We talk about mindfulness in that one, though, so it's all good. Um so for everyone who is interested in what you do, it's great because this is live. I'm going to be able to share it. 
We're going to put all your links right down there. They'll be able to click it, automatically add you, all that good stuff. Uh, tell us how can people get in touch with you. And for everyone on the podcast, yeah. the links will be in, in the description. Yes. So on my website is I have a lot of English teaching resources, um, some blog posts, some videos. And in the blog posts and everything else from the website leads there are links to things on YouTube, um, my Facebook teacher page, my Instagram page. And please, please feel free to ask questions. I love when people ask me Absolutely. questions because that's what gives me the ideas to create new resources. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. And wait, what is your website? I'm going to hurry up and type that in right now. Yes. It is ellteachershare.com. Share.com. Boom. All right. Got that. All right. So I posted that just so I could like reference the heck out of myself. So, yeah. okay. Awesome. Awesome. So I put that in right there. Um, yeah, have, ma'am, I've had a lot of students ask me a lot of different things and I get so many ideas like, you know, because, you know, you look at some of the worksheets and whatnot or, you know, things in general. You're like, I could take that and I could make that a speaking activity. You know what I mean? So I love the questions a lot of people ask me. So, uh, all right. Awesome. So there it is. There um, there goes her website, of course, in the comment section. Everyone else, I'm going to be taking all of her good old links and putting it in everything out there, especially YouTube, if you guys are watching this on there, for people who are listening to me on the podcast, which is the biggest platform. Uh, make sure that, uh, that, yeah, you look in the description. You'll see everything. And Katrina and I, we will be getting back together in two weeks' time with another topic because that's how we roll and because we are the best Americans. So anyways, Meg Katrina, the best Americans, right? Yeah, people are like, get the hell out of here. Meg Katrina, thank you so much for, again, tuning into this one. Thank you so much for your energy and your good questions. And thank you, thank you. to all of your listeners who give you feedback and information to help you build this. It's such a good community. I'm happy to be a part of it. Absolutely. And that's what it is, guys. We're all a part of this journey that we're all trying to achieve something. So, man, thanks again. And, guys, with that being said, that is the conclusion of this uh, Facebook Live. Stay tuned. Again, we're going to be having another topic probably on the same day, or if not, it'll be on another day, uh, and it'll be a different topic. I say same time. A different topic on a different day. Just stay tuned for all the information. And again, I can't thank you enough, Katrina. Thank you so much. Thank you. You're welcome. And guys, with that being said, have a wonderful morning, afternoon, and evening. I'm your host, Star Studio, as usual. Stay tuned for more. Over and out.